What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Ben McKee, and Ryan Callahan coming to you from Nissan Stadium here in Nashville, where the Tennessee Volunteers, the 12th-ranked Vols, have opened their football season with a 49-13 win over Virginia. Uh, just a quick note on the front end, we we are outside here. We're in a booth, but there's, there's outside wind conditions, so in case you hear any uh, janitorial work outside, that is... Uh, That's the stadium crew and Patrick Brown out there doing some of the cleaning work uh, because Patrick is ducking this podcast and he'll be with us on Monday, even though we're all here. Nonetheless, fellas, Tennessee has opened the season not what you would say perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I think solidly. I think on balance, more good than bad. Maybe we'll talk about some of the good stuff on the front end, then we'll get to some of the cleanup stuff here in the second segment. Um, But before we do that, just overall quick thoughts on the game for me guys I guess I'll start with Ryan it, it looked like a pretty classic opener you know the, there were some things that were sloppy that you would expect um, but but when you look at some other openers across the country um, it's cleaner than some others have been but still some stuff to fix but more good than bad maybe yeah I, I think that's a fair way to put it and, and as with a lot of these openers when you're playing a team that's clearly outmanned uh, which Virginia was I mean that we knew that they were a sort of a bottom-end Power 5 opponent. That's just sort of where they are now in the rebuilding process. Um, And and when you're playing a team like that, it's all about how you look at it. If you want to see things that are problems, that are concerns for better opponents down the road, you can definitely find those in this game. If you want to see the positive and and look at, hey, 49-13, bunch of yards on offense, still a team that's scoring a lot of points, doing what they need to do uh, to to put an opponent away by the start of the fourth quarter, Absolutely, that that's there too. So uh, I, I think a lot of positives, though, overall, Joe Milton, not perfect, had some throws that he'd like to have back, but the ones he missed I don't think were far off, and I think overall he was pretty solid, uh, had had a, a good enough day against most teams. That's going to be good enough to win to win the game. He didn't turn the ball over. He didn't take a lot of sacks. It, it, was, a, it was a solid performance. I think the offensive line, that was one thing we had a lot of questions about coming into this game. Uh, didn't give up, give up a lot of sacks. Tennessee ran the ball pretty well. Obviously, Jalen Wright especially had a really good game. I thought Wright looked really sharp, and you know he he had a good year last year. I know we were we were all kind of thinking he would have a have a good year, but I thought he looked especially sharp in this game. Uh, and then defensively, kind of building on what they did at the end of last season. This is I think three straight games they've had now where they haven't allowed more than one touchdown defensively. So. Pretty impressive when you look at what they've done, um, you know, since that South Carolina debacle at the end, uh, near the end of last season, uh, and this obviously building on that and and getting a young young team some or a team replacing some key players, some confidence with James Pierce especially standing out with his two sacks on, on defense. But a lot to build on Ben, and a lot that I think Tennessee can can certainly take some positives out of this game was just how they performed overall. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. I mean, offensively what stood out the most was that running back trio. I mean, it, it truly might be – there's no might be. It is one of the best trios in the country. I, I feel like we can safely say it is one of the best in the country. I think we can take it a step further and say it might be the best running back trio in the country. And obviously we would need need to do more homework on that. But uh, it feels just off the cuff like it, you would have a hard time finding a, a better – uh, t- th- trio. I was going to say tandem, a, a better trio of, of guys than than Dylan Sampson, Jabari Small, uh, and, and Jalen Wright. And you know, we talked all off season long about Jalen Wright, and, and rightfully so. He arguably had the best off season out of anybody in the entire program, which is saying something because so many guys had great off seasons. And we we kind of had a discussion of who gets the starting nod and, and this and that. And, and then we get here, and Jalen Wright looked awesome. There, there's no doubt about it. But Dylan Sampson comes out and scores four touchdowns. He, he looks like Alvin Kamara running around in, in, in Alvin's sixth jersey. And funny enough, Alvin was here. So uh, the running backs looked awesome. Uh, and I, I thought for the most part the offense looked okay. We'll, we'll get into that a, a little bit later. Uh, and, and I should not have let off with the running backs the the defense was the the story That's, that was where i was going to go first so i'm glad you're doing that yes the the defense is is what uh what what should be let off with and, and 
to be fair, Ro or, uh, Patrick Brown and I, in our no huddle on the field afterwards, we did start with the defense, and, and that's where you should start because that, that was a dominating defensive performance. And I know Virginia has issues, and, and they like talent, a lot of newcomers, this and that. They were on the road, essentially. Uh, but Tennessee dominated somebody in an inferior opponent in an inferior offense the way that it should have. I mean, the, the, the trench play by Tennessee was just – my gosh, that was ridiculous. It, it looked like a bunch of men playing against teenagers. It, it looked like a college team playing against high school guys. That, that's what it looked like. So uh, I, I think the front seven is real easy to discuss. And I, I think the, the important thing to add, Wes, is that it's a small sample size, but the early returns on the secondary is that it, it, it's at least improved somewhat. How much is it improved? I don't know. But it certainly improved to a certain extent. Kamal Haddon and other guys were breaking up passes that we haven't seen them break up in the past. Yeah, there were a couple times where I still wish they'd get their heads turned around a little quicker, but but it worked. I mean, they got their hands up when they saw the receiver put their hands up, got a couple balls batted down. I, I thought they were better. It was a step in the right direction. To me, I want to say this on the front end because I, I don't want this to be something that I end up forgetting to talk about and then you're sitting there listening to it later, and you go, oh, I wish I'd talked about this. So I'm going to say it right off the top. Tennessee's freshman defensive linemen, for me, were maybe the most promising development of the day. I know that Virginia is not a great football team. I know Virginia is a lower-tier team in the ACC. I know Tony Elliott's taken over quite the rebuilding job there, Talk to, you know, taken over from, from uh, you know, Bronco Mendenhall, who's a really – you know, positive, well-liked guy in that locker room, and you're trying to come in and change a culture and make maybe some meet some resistance. They've had some issues, and we all know certainly the devastation that happened late in Virginia's year last season. And I thought maybe the the best moment of the entire day for for either team was Mike Hollins uh, carrying the flag out for Virginia before the game. If if that doesn't tug at your heartstrings, you you, you don't have a heart. Um, but regardless. Virginia is a team that is not great up front on either side of the ball, especially without Chico Bennett, uh, the really good player who Tennessee uh, was fortunate not to have to go against today. Um, but I don't care who you're playing. If you're, if, it, if you're playing an ACC program, a Power Five conference program, and you're a freshman defensive lineman and you go do that to them, that gets my attention. The burst that James Pierce Jr. has off the edge is different. It's different. Tennessee needs guys like that. We, we talk about all this time in the recruiting the past three years, right? What's Tennessee done? Gotten a lot of really nice edge rusher prospects. And, and you keep wondering when those guys are going to kind of take the baton, when's it going to be their time to kind of maybe take this defense to the next level? I'll tell you, I don't care what level of football you're playing at, if you can dominate people off the edge up front, you can wreck a lot of stuff. You can wreck. There's a reason why those guys are paid so much money at the next level. They are big-time game-changing players. And, and I thought you know, David Hobbs' uh, defensive tackle looked really, really nice too. He had. I mean, he, he looked like he was in the backfield on two-thirds of the snaps he played. He was getting into the backfield. So those guys, to me, were a really, really pleasant surprise. Uh, and and they'll, they'll face tough, tougher competition, not next week, maybe not the week after that, but – I'm kidding, um, but the, they're going to play tough for opponents. I thought they were really good. And, and in terms of just surprises, when you beat up on a team like this, you can make the numbers kind of look good and give everybody some love. Um, but that distribution, 12 carries for Wright, 13 for Small, 13 for Sampson, that surprises me. I did not expect Sampson to get that many carries. I just didn't. And I definitely, I damn sure didn't expect him to be the go-to red zone back, which he was. They got down to the red zone a few times, and they could have gone with Wright. They could have gone with some other guys. They pretty consistently went to him in the red zone. I don't know if that was a matchup thing in this game, but they, they liked giving him the ball in the red zone, and he got results. I mean, four touchdowns, that's, that's a nice day at the office. First Tennessee running back to score four touchdowns in a game since John Kelly in that crazy season opener against Georgia Tech back in 2017. But, but maybe this season will end better than that one did. Yeah, uh, hopefully for Tennessee a better, <laughs> better omen in this case than that one was. But, uh, but yeah, now James Pierce 
is a sophomore, not a freshman. Just to he's not, to he's not a retro freshman. No. He's technically he, a sophomore. He, okay. Yeah, he played. He played on special teams every game last there year on kick coverage. But good note. But good note. but regardless, the young guys on the on the defensive front, and we didn't even see much. I thought from Joshua Josephs today. Didn't not a lot in terms of making plays anyway. Got into the backfield a couple of times. Yeah, but yeah, not a huge day. Hasn't so, one nice tackle. So so the fact that you know obviously Pierce is the one we're talking about most, but the fact that we didn't even see a lot from from uh, Josh Josephs didn't. I thought we might see Caleb Herring, uh, you know, a little more mm-hmm. than, than we did. Um, so, so you know, there's still there's still more upside to that group. That's the crazy thing is I think there still is a lot of potential in that group, and that's that's one of the areas where where I think Tennessee has a lot of upside on this team still is you know how much can they incorporate those young guys and grow their roles throughout the year. Didn't see you know a lot from Arion Carter. You know, he played a lot today, but did, you know only saw him make a. I, I didn't see what the final stats were, but only he had, co- a, he had a couple of really nice physical pop plays in the fourth quarter. Yeah. but he also. Had a couple moments where he looked like a freshman. Right. So uh, maybe a couple tackles. Uh, you got the box score there, but you know, maybe a, maybe a couple. Oh, he had four tackles, so a little more than I than I than I realized uh, watching it live. But um, but yeah, I mean, you got a lot of young guys. Uh, some playing time there in the game. Those guys will continue to grow, and I think as they get more incorporated in the defense throughout the season, that that gives this team some upside that maybe even the seniors that are starting maybe don't have. But but good signs that you saw. Pierce making plays. Tyler Barron had a, had a couple sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good to see that from him. If you're Tennessee, that's we, we've talked about it before. If there's anybody on this team, and maybe we were underselling Gotta Pierce. Got to have it for Barron. Got to have yeah. it. Yeah. If, if we were underselling anybody, maybe it was Pierce and the upside he has. But we, we thought if there's anybody on this team that's capable of coming out of nowhere and having a 10-sack season, it might be Tyler Barron. Off to a good start, at least uh, with, with that performance today. So um, that that's all really good for Tennessee. Now I'll say this: I'll temper the expectations based on this defensive performance alone, because Virginia was a really bad offensive team last year. 126 that in the country. Offensive line is rough. Let's just call it what it is. They allowed 34 sacks in 10 games last year. I thought Tennessee would have a nice day rushing the passer. They did. Um, Virginia at, they scored more than 20 points twice all year last year. They scored 13 today. So this is not terribly out of line with what they did most of last season. And Tennessee, let's face it, had some nice moments last year defensively. LSU, Kentucky, they weren't they weren't completely uh, foreign to these types of performances. So we'll see what this means down the road, you know, when they face South Carolina, Texas A&M, some of those teams in a few weeks. But it's a very good start. Again, a lot of things to build on, a lot of things that if you want to see positives, you certainly can. And, you know, for the offense to be a little bit off for most of the first half, let's face it, I mean, they didn't score for – what, 20 minutes or so after that opening drive, for them to have that kind of day, have a turnover on on special teams, have some things go wrong on special teams aside from that, and still win 49-13, I think just shows you that this staff, most importantly, is able to keep things rolling without Hendon Hooker, without Jalen Hyatt. This is a program that's going to keep the, keep things on the track, keep the offense scoring a lot of points. I mean, for it to be a pretty pedestrian day and score 49 points, no matter who you're playing. Ho-hum. Yeah, that's that's a good thing and, and, and certainly something to be celebrated if you're a Tennessee fan. One of the 69,000-plus that were here today, uh, and it was almost entirely Tennessee fans. I mean, it was it was pretty wild how uh, how how few Virginia fans made the trip, uh, but, but how many Tennessee fans wanted to be here and bought tickets. But uh, if you're one of the Tennessee fans that were here today or, or just watched on TV, you came away from today feeling kind of ho-hum about a 49-13 win. That says something about where this program is now. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that, that was kind of what I was thinking when we were walking down onto the field after the game. It's Tennessee winning 49-13, to and it's like, well, they, they could have done a lot better. And you felt that way about the offense, and, and I know Wet Blanket Callahan's got to throw his <laughs> wet blanket on, on the defensive performance. The humidity did pick up a little bit when he got the microphone. It, it absolutely absolutely did. And, and Ryan is right. This Virginia offense is is very bad, and 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 you can tell why Virginia is was picked last in, in just about every preseason poll. But uh, the the way I kind of gauge things is just a simple fact that w- we didn't necessarily see that complete of a dominant defensive performance in the past. Like he, even against these types of offenses in the past, it didn't look that good from top to bottom. Uh, there, there really isn't anything to to nitpick. Uh, about the defensive performance today, and and they were the better unit today. Special teams struggled. We can talk about that before we get out of here later on. Uh, but then offensively, uh, aside from the running game, I mean, the, the passing game, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, Joe was very efficient, 21 of 30, 201 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. With an 80-yard touchdown dropped. 
Yes, and and you know they they kind of went into a lull there in the second quarter or, or late first quarter into the second quarter, and, and maybe if Ramel Keaton catches that deep ball, then then maybe it's it it doesn't go into a lull. But maybe that kind of stung them for a minute. But I, I I thought it was quite honestly disappointing. I don't think it's a big deal, but I thought it was disappointing to hear uh, Josh Heupel put it nicely and say that the skill position players weren't in rhythm there in the first half when they hit that lull. And, and then Joe put it bluntly and said some guys were taking plays off. And I don't think it was a, a lack of effort thing. Technically, yes, it is. But I, I, I don't think it was stemming from them being lazy. It was stemming from them maybe being too confident and understanding that this is a bad Virginia football team and that they can just kind of roll out there and, and they're going to win no matter what. I think they got a little too comfortable, which happens, especially at this level. 18 to 25-year-old kids, I mean, they're as inconsistent as they come, right? So uh, the, the offense, it was a good day overall, uh, but certainly there needs to be improvement as you get ready for the Florida game. And, you know, like physically, I thought they played football relatively fine. To me, the, the more frustrating aspect and more concerning, if, if you want to use that word, Wes, I, I think that may be a little too dramatic to use, but just for the sake of the conversation, the, the, the pre-snap penalties and, and dropping footballs and just it, it wasn't the efficient Tennessee offense that we've seen play to play under Hendon Hooker. It, it was a little more sporadic. Uh, and, and it did seem like it was more skill position players than Joe Milton, as it, it was alluded to uh, in postgame. But that's something that's got to be cleaned up. I'm not worried about it going forward, but it's something that certainly has to be cleaned up as you get into week two and, and, and get into the swamp. Yeah, I, I, I'm big, generally speaking, on, on it being a good thing when you have teachable moments in your first game. I think sometimes when you go out there and if you put up like a 50 or 60 spot, and of course they were one point away from 50, but if they go out there and play almost as well as they can play today, sometimes that cannot be a great thing because we all know how next week's going to go. So there may have been a couple plays here where if Virginia could give you a little challenge, that's probably a good thing before you kind of go into uh, what will be a, a difficult environment anyway in the swamp in a couple of weeks, and we'll see uh, if Florida's able to, to rebound. But I think it's good to have some things that you have to coach and teach up. Um, that's It's nice. I think coaches on some level, most coaches, even, even uh, good vibes only guys like Heupel, they like being able to go to the board and have some legitimate things to correct. If you're having to invent things to correct, your team's going to know that. You can go to this video and you can point to a lot of things from this game and say, you know what, guys, if we want to win a championship, that's not good enough. It's good enough to, to pants Virginia. It would be good enough to pants Austin P. Not going to be good enough to, to win the championship. Y'all want to win this season. So I think this is kind of a good transition point because I think the next thing I wanted to talk about with Milton was some good and some bad. So if we were going to do this podcast, I'll talk about mostly the good stuff in the beginning and then the teachable stuff that wasn't very good at the end. I think a transition point in the middle might be Milton's game that was a little bit of both, and that might be a good buffer zone to get into the second segment. But before we get into that transition, though, I will give some some love to the offensive line because there might be weeks in the in the in, in the future where that's not the case. But for one day, for for a group playing without Cooper Mays, for all the concerns we had about that group going into this game, for them to run for what two hundred eighty something yards and give up one sack, and Wright could have had two hundred and seventy yards today if they had just kept giving the ball to him. Absolutely. So for them to have that kind of day, and for Jalen Wright to have the kind of holes he had, I mean, he he had some really nice cuts too that made some of that look easier than it might have been. But uh, but for that group to play as as solidly up front as they did under the circumstances and for rotating as much as they did at, at what four different positions I thought was a really good sign so definitely want, want to give those guys some credit thought it uh, you know that was one of the things I was watching the most in this game is you know how they were going to to deal with that up front what their plan was going to be and, and how smoothly it would go and I thought for the most part it went pretty smoothly and that that should probably be mentioned among the positives for this game I think there's a lot of positive things to talk about and I think playing center in that offense as we all know, it's not easy. And for Ollie Lane and those guys to step in and, and do what I thought was a reasonably good job throughout most of the day, uh, that's not an easy thing to do to run the tempo as the center in this offense. And I think for guys starting at that position for the first time, 
it could have gone a lot worse. I think there was a lot of positives, and I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. That's a good addition because it could have been much, much worse for that group. But I think we're, we're at a good place here to step away for a break. We'll come back. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about, talking about maybe the, the up and down, but I think more good than bad day from Joe Milton the third. A lot of other things to discuss, and we'll get to all of it. Uh, but before we do that, let's step away for just a minute, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, et cetera, and we'll be right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ad you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker and Ryan Callahan and Ben McKee coming to you from Nissan Stadium here in Nashville, Tennessee. Now in a soundproofed booth, we figured out uh, we put our three brains and seven brain cells together, and we figured out that you can close these windows, uh, and so we're a little bit, hopefully, better sound here in the second segment. We got a lot to discuss about Tennessee's season opening 49-13 to 13 win over Virginia on Saturday right here in the Music City. I think a lot more, uh, l- at least a little more good than bad. I would say a fair amount more good than bad. Uh, and plenty to discuss about that. But before we do that, just a quick, quick request from Aaron. If you could take about a minute out of your day right now, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That would help us out a lot. If you're just listening on the website right there at GoVols247.com, that's absolutely fine. We love you. There's no wrong way to consume this podcast. What helps us out the most, though, is if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere in the world, you can cast the fine pod. You can find this GoVols247 podcast. We do this for free. We're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. No complaints whatsoever from our end but since we're doing it for free i don't think it's too much to ask to rate review subscribe and tell your friends tell people that you see around town you'll be seeing people at church in the morning probably talking about this big tennessee season opening win uh tell them about the go balls 24 7 podcast while you're doing that uh, we really would appreciate that and if you're already doing that thank you we love you if not i award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. Right back into it, guys. I, I think a, a good transition point between good and bad is to talk about the day of Tennessee quarterback Joe Milton III. When you look at it overall and looking at the turning the page here, the, the final stats that we've got here are 21 of 30 passing for 201 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, only took one sack. Uh, and then on the ground, I believe Milton had nine carries, 440 yards, and two more touchdowns. Uh, I'll start with the decision-making. I thought of the 30 throws he made, maybe only one of them was a bad idea, and that was the one sort of over the middle to Brew McCoy that uh, maybe could have been intercepted, maybe an SEC play would have been intercepted. That's probably a when you go look at that one on the clicker, you're probably not going to like that one uh, if you're Joe Milton III or Josh Heupel uh, or, or any of those guys. So uh, that's one thing to note. But other but when you're talking about 30 throws and there's only one that was kind of a bad maybe decision, I think that's good. Uh, I think there's maybe about five throws off the top of my head, four or five, uh, that the accuracy wasn't great. Uh, it's not his fault whatsoever that Ramel Keaton dropped the first play. I mean, we've seen again with Ramel Keaton, sometimes you just got to make it tougher and he'll make the play every time. But uh, uh, he got into a lot of green space there uh, and dropped that one uh, in, the, in the first quarter. Uh, and then after that, you know, I thought there was a ball to Keaton that if he throws it a little more in stride, maybe as a touchdown or a big, bigger play instead of what was like a 30, 30 something yard gain. Uh, 41, I think. 41 yard gain. That was yeah. the long, and, long pass play of the day. The, and the, the big play just wasn't quite there today. Uh, there, there were a couple throws, uh, one to Thornton, then I think could have been better. Uh, one, uh, you know, over the middle uh, to somebody, I'm trying to remember who it was, that maybe could have been better. But you're talking about really four maybe four or five throws and the accuracy was not too far off so early in the season with a quarterback obviously you want perfection you're never going to get that so what do you want you want good decision making early in the season and you want to see at least signs that these are all correctable things that are fine 
I thought more good from bad for Joe Milton. I thought the way that his decisions on, on the RPO stuff, I thought those were mostly good. A couple times he maybe should have pulled it, but he didn't. Um, there was one play where he rolled over, uh, rolled over to the right for the touchdown. He could have thrown it to two open guys, but he ran it, which, as he put it, is not selfish. It's a smart play because if you can run it in without having to put the ball in the air, that's a higher percentage play. I think that's a smart play. I thought there was more good than bad from Milton today. It wasn't just an absolutely – dynamic performance but I thought it was fine yeah I, I, I would agree with that and you know that's the one the one thing and, and I, I didn't you know when I'm watching a, a game and thankfully we have a good view here at Nissan Stadium uh, not as much of an aerial view as we have at Neyland Stadium sometimes at, at home games the, bl- the blimp view that you get in like College yeah. Station in Knoxville and other places so yeah sometimes I can come away from my initial viewing at Tennessee home games with a better feel for kind of how teams played Tennessee but I kind of have to go back and watch that a lot of times so I don't know if Virginia's coverage might have had something to do with this, but the one concern would be in, in the big picture, aside from the, you know a few missed throws, would be the big plays weren't there in the passing game, and they often are in the Josh Heupel offense. Now, as you said, 80-yard touchdown potentially that was dropped or at least a 50-, 60-yard gain even if he was caught from behind on that one. So that, that one, you, you catch that ball, and who knows how differently the game plays out. And that's why, you know, that's why we've seen, frankly, Tennessee not rotate a lot at receiver because they had that key drop at Florida a couple years ago, and they kind of realized, you know, you've got to have receivers you can count on. It's because, it's because of that. It's the, it's the ripple effect. You don't want one play like that to change your game. So um, it, it, it could have changed Joe Milton's game. A 200-yard day for him, solid. Could have been a 300, 350-yard day if that ball's caught. Um, so so that's, that's one thing that you certainly don't want to overlook. But 200 yards, you know, that's not what we're used to seeing out of this offense against teams like Virginia. So is that something is, we're going to have to get used to? Is Tennessee's offense going to be a little bit different? Not well, putting they, up, they ran for 300. They so ran they for 300. Complain. No, absolutely. And that's and Ben and I kind of talked about this going into the season. I know he's, he specifically mentioned it too. I wonder if this team, when it's, when it's really rolling, might be a little bit more of a running team as opposed to, to a 350-yard-a-game passing team um, when, they, when they really have things rolling. We'll see if that's a consistent thing or just a one-day thing. But I, I did kind of come away from this game wondering, are we going to see as many big passing plays? They didn't get to squirrel white down the field. That's one thing. You know, you didn't see that. They didn't get to Dante Thornton much either. Thought that was interesting that he only had two catches both on uh, on screens or short passes. So got to work him into the offense more. That, that I'm sure will come. But uh, if you're looking at Joe Milton's day overall, I thought solid, like you said, missed a few throws just here and there. Didn't have a huge problem with the reads. But I wonder if the passing game as a whole – and I didn't see Brew McCoy get a ton of separation. Again, could have been the way they played him. But yeah, those, I think the, he had, what, two catches on maybe seven targets? Yeah, and they were both kind of hard-earned. Up One where he hung in there and kind of took, took a big hit. You know, not, not sure what, what his – you know, he got a little shaken up, I he think. Got, he got his shoulder in a wrap there, and he didn't, yeah. he didn't play in the second half much. So, so that's, that's at least a concern. People wonder about Squirrel White, too. Not, not sure his status yet, but, I, you know, I don't have any reason to think that's too serious. But if those guys – can't get more separation and make more big plays, it's going to be a little bit harder for Tennessee to, to pile up points in SEC play. So they need to – obviously you don't want 200 yards to be the norm in the Josh Heupel offense. We'll see if that's typical or kind of just a one-off thing. I, I thought Joe Milton was really good today. Uh, I, I thought he was really good. I did too. I think you have to nitpick to find some bad stuff. I mean, he went two touchdowns, 200 yards, zero interceptions, showed some bursts with the legs. Uh, he, he's going to be able to run around more than, than people think. He, he's not Hendon Hooker or Josh Dobbs like we talked about throughout fall camp, but he, he can move, and, and we saw that at, at a couple different times today. So I, I thought Joe Milton was, was really good. Obviously, the, the passing attack wasn't what it probably should be, but I, I thought it was more the skill position players than, than maybe Joe not, not doing what, what he was supposed to do. And, and again, I don't, I don't think Joe was perfect. I mean, you, you listen to Hypo talk post game and uh, there, there were a couple of inaccurate footballs. Uh, there was one throw to Dante down the seam that, that could have been a touchdown probably if he, if he sees it a, a little sooner, didn't give Dante much room to work with in, in the back of the end zone. And that led to an incompletion uh, there was a, another play where, where I believe somebody was running wide open down the middle of the field, and, and he just kind of missed them. Um, but again, it, it's football. He, he's not going to be perfect. It, it kind of feels like until Joe proves himself a little bit more, he, he's being 
held to this ridiculous standard and, and he's expected to, to be absolutely perfect on every single play. And, and that's just not football. Hard it, act to follow. Right. It, it's just not going to work that way. I mean, he went 21 to 30 for 200 yards, two tutties, and, and no turnovers. Like, you take that all day long from, from your quarterback, especially when the head coach – and it is kind of weird to hear the quarterback talk about it, but he is the leader of the team and, and the leader of the offense. Like, they called out the, the – Wide receivers, essentially. And I guess you could lump the tight ends in there as well, although Jacob Bourne did catch a touchdown, and McCollin Castles had a nice play, if, if I remember correctly. So I thought Joe was, was really, really good. Uh, to Ryan's point, I, I think it's going to be a very balanced offense, and I think it's just going to kind of depend on the day whether the, the, the passing game is the strength or whether the running game is the, is the strength, if I can talk properly. Uh, and I thought today was the perfect example of that, where the passing attack wasn't necessarily crisp, but the running game was just absolutely lights out. I mean, they ran the football whenever, wherever they wanted to outside of the fourth and short on the other side of the field where uh, Jabari Small got blown up on that fourth and, and one, I believe it was, and, and two guys just came free. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened there, but two guys just were untouched and, and demolished Jabari Small. So, again, I thought today was a perfect example of receiving game not necessarily being all that crisp, but the running backs and, and the offensive line as well picked them up. And I, I think you'll see some trade-off. Uh, it's, it's hard to envision this rushing attack not having <laughs> a great day every game this season. Uh, but th th this passing attack is much better than what they showed today. And they were still pretty good. Yeah, they were. And, and Brew McCoy would have had a – he made maybe the best catch of the day, but it was just the end of his foot was out of bounds there in the end zone. I mean, that was – that was a really, really nice catch that he made in the end zone. But the, you know, it's just uh, if he had maybe what like a size, you know, eleven shoe instead of like a size thirteen or whatever shoe, maybe maybe that's a touchdown. Um, but it was a really nice play. And again, he didn't get a lot of separation, but that's never been his game. He's a big physical guy who makes tough catches, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, yeah. you're a guy who, you know, whatever you're, you know, everybody's got different strengths in their game, and his is his physicality. So there's there's no problems. Uh, in my front there. And, I, and I'm glad Ben said what he said about Milton, too, because I think the standard that he's held to, one, because of the inauspicious beginning there to his Tennessee career, and two, he's following Superman. He's following a guy who played quarterback about as well as you can play it at the college level pretty consistently there for the, the, the final couple of years, or year and a half especially. So, you know, again, that is what it is. People feel what they feel about Milton. That is going to be the case until he goes out there and, you know, they go win like – an SEC championship or something with, and that's just going to be how it is. But I think one area for, for Tennessee that absolutely positively needs to get cleaned up uh, is the special teams game, the kicking game. Uh, there were some things today uh, – you didn't see stuff like in the Florida game where two guys with the same jersey number go out there uh, to, to field a punt, and that changes that game out there in Salt Lake City. But you, you had a guy who's come halfway across the world uh, to, to play his first college football game, Jackson Ross, his first football game, really, uh, at least American football game, uh, the two-footed punter, which is not something you see very often, um, but a guy who some of those rugby kicks did not quite come off some nerves early on. Um, that, that did not look particularly great. Um, you have one of the best punt return guys in the country, D. Williams, puts a ball on the ground. Um, but then he also had three really long punt returns. And uh, Virginia's punter, who is a hell of a player, by the way, uh, he's their best player by far without Chico Bennett out there, and maybe even with him out there, uh, made a really nice play to prevent a touchdown on one play. Um, but some stuff in the special teams game just really needs to get cleaned up. And I, I think that it probably will. Uh, I'm not too concerned about that. Campbell was fine. A couple of kickoffs, though, uh, from, from Turbyville, the, from the greatest high school that's ever existed. Had a couple of really nice boots all, all the way through the end zone and then a couple of kickoffs out of bounds in the game, though, which will give make coaches go bald early in their lives, stuff like that. Uh, they got to get that cleaned up. I think they will, but to me, that was kind of typical season opener stuff on special teams. We are just not quite sharp there yet. Yeah, I think Patrick pointed out during the game that we've seen that before early in the season from, from Tennessee. I think last year there was some of that, uh, some of those special teams kind of miscues. And I especially don't worry about that as much. You know, Of all the things that you could come away from today's game worrying about for the long term, that to me is at the bottom of the list. I've, Tennessee has been well coached on special teams, and I think they have talented guys on special teams first and foremost. So D. Williams fumbling on that punt return, 
I don't think you're going to see a lot of that from him this year. And he showed the, the upside to his game, obviously, with a couple more long returns, just like he's done in the past. So uh, overall, not, not a horrible day for him, despite the fumble. But you obviously don't want to see that. Uh, and, and I don't think you will see that on a regular basis. You know, the kickoff's out of bounds. They'll get that fixed. And the great thing for we, – we'd never seen Josh Turbyville kick in a game uh, at the college level. To see him blast a couple, at least, through the end zone – was Including really the a, first one, just yeah. bam, right through the back of the end zone. A really impressive. So clearly the directional kicking, and this staff likes to be pretty aggressive with their angles and, and kicking toward the sidelines. So that that will be an adjustment. And they, you know, you you almost forget they they've lost guys that have done that for a long time. You know, Paxton Brooks handled that for a long time. Uh, for him to be gone, you, you know, you've got to break in somebody else doing that. And even Paxton Brooks missed some of those sometimes. So it's going to take some practice with him and and I, I don't worry about that and in Jackson Ross you know I, I was frankly a little disappointed to hear Tennessee fans a smattering of boos after two two rough kicks I mean I know that's it's it's a big boy sport he's played professionally uh Australian rules football in Australia but you know a guy he's Australian he can handle it yeah I mean he's every pro- single thing on that island can kill you <laughs> he's I'm sure he's fine I mean I, I I don't think he'll be beating himself up too much about it but Knowing that he's you know still fairly new to the sport and everything, and knowing that this is his first college game, uh, playing in front of this size crowd certainly, you know the, the, you don't want to have a that short of a leash with a guy that you're, you're already booing him after two bad kicks. But I, I get it. it. They weren't they weren't pretty. He'll be fine. I think he's going to be a weapon for Tennessee in the long run. Just not a not a great first day. But yeah, special teams to me of all the things to to come away from from today concerned about at least for now. You know if we see it again next week, maybe we'll talk. But for me, that's at the bottom of the list as far as long-term concerns. Yeah, and, and I honestly don't really have long-term concerns. I, I think there's things that you monitor, obviously, but I, I kind of chalk up the inconsistencies on offense, uh, really what I call sloppiness. I think that's the better word to describe it there early in that first half or, or midway through that first half. I, I thought it was just sloppiness, uh, and I thought there were things that, that are – Things that can be easily corrected and, and things that will be easily corrected because this has always been a, a very, very well-coached team. And, and they have too many guys that, that have played a lot of football on offense for them. that They will get those things cleaned up. Uh, and I also think special teams will get cleaned up as well. I, I don't think last year's opener was as – was as inconsistent as this one. I don't think special teams looked as bad last year as it did today at times, uh, but there was at least also some good to, to take away with it. You mentioned D. Williams uh, almost breaking uh, three punts off for, for touchdowns, uh, and he's just electric uh, in the return game. Uh, they say all the time that he's one of the best returners in America, and, and he truly is. Like He's probably going to make an NFL roster because of it. Um, but that, that's an entirely different conversation because more goes into that, obviously. But uh, I, I'm not too worried about it. I, I think the offense is, is going to be fine, and I, I think special teams is, is going to be fine as well. I, I truly chalk up uh, Jackson Ross's snap fuse today, whatever you want to call them. Snap fuse. Thank I'm, you. I can't I'm, say I'm, that I'm word. I'm that up, and I'm using that. You should. Uh, we, we all know that I, I cannot speak and, and not good at this, so pl- please do uh, – Chop that one up I and, and throw it in the intro. I hit my TV above my head. I can't really talk. And, and still no sense inside of you. But Jackson Ross, I mean, it was just first game jitters, I thought, exactly what Josh Heupel said after the game. I mean, he's coming over to play in an entirely different country, an entirely new sport practically. Uh, and I could kind of tell, and I actually took note of that mentally, standing behind Tennessee's end zone in pregame warm. I was like, he just kind of looked a little tense. And so I, was, I made a note to myself, I wonder how he's going to perform today. He looks a little nervous. He doesn't look as kind of outgoing and, and free-spirited as he seemed during fall camp, especially when he met with the media. So uh, if he goes down to the swamp and, and similar issues, then, then okay, let's have a conversation at, at that point. And even with Turbyville kicking it out of bounds and, and whatnot, like they're, they're inexperienced guys and they have a ton of talent. And I'm sure at some point they, they will get the early season jitters out of them. And one other thing on special teams, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see more of Charles Campbell. We only got to see him on extra points. You know, he Tennessee had some chances. They could have let him try He's field a, goals. Yeah, he had to be over there kicking dirt. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> and, and that's one thing I wonder about. I mean, obviously you don't treat this like a preseason game. You're just trying to win the game. And we know Josh Heupel's MO most of the time is – 
Ed, go for it. If if you think it's close, like this, F it, go for it. Yeah, and and From we zone thirty four. F it, go for it. And and we saw that. I mean, how about? I mean, uh, I saw some people tweeting about it. Kind of the ultimate sign of disrespect, almost to go for it from your own twenty nine early in a game the way he did. Twenty nine, I thought it was thirty four. Twenty or or, or some better. somewhere around there. I think. Yeah, it, I think you might be right. But but regardless, to do that, and that was after they went for it on fourth and five on the game's opening possession at the nine yard line. That's a that's a. I mean, you're not at the four. You're at the nine and. Hard, not, not impossible to convert that, but it's almost fourth and goal because it is hard or a little bit hard to get a first down there uh, unless you're running the ball. So that that's a that's a I don't know. Th- those were both interesting calls. Uh, easy to make in a game like this, I think. If you're playing if you're playing Georgia, you might make the make different calls in those situations. So, uh, but I thought that was interesting, and, and you wonder do they need? I don't think you need to get Charles Campbell work as much as as uh, as Jackson Ross, obviously, because he's done it at, at the at the major Division One level, but. But yeah, Jackson Ross. That almost makes me wonder. You know, I kind of thought last year they might get him some work and some blowouts. Seeing a day like today, you know, I wonder kind of why. Why didn't you? You, you thought he might be the guy this year. It'd, it'd be real easy to get him a punt or two late in a blowout last year. I thought it was interesting that they didn't at the time. Yeah, because his first road experience will be in the swamp. So that that's, that that that's not that's uh, that's that's not easy. But yeah, I, I think uh, to me, there's a couple things that I want to mention right before we get out of here. Um, we can make this the good old compliment sandwich. So there's a couple things that I wanted uh, to know. First off, just quickly, uh, the, the two most high, the two you know most attended games in this stadium's history. The last two times the Tennessee Volunteers have played here, which is an interesting note. I don't know if there's something different about the configuration uh, for, for some of the NFL games or versus what hospitality areas. I don't know what it is, but there's more people here for 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 the Vols games, and those ticket prices today were were not cheap. So this was a hard sellout. And there were a lot of people here, and the, the vibe was, was pretty strong from the fan base. And I, I had to mention this. John Campbell Jr. in his first Tennessee game probably made the play of the game. If we're being honest, probably a 15-yard penalty. But uh, the way that he took that Virginia defender, uh, and I think they first tangled somewhere around the end zone, maybe a yard or two into the end zone, and he took that sucker into the tunnel, basically. I mean, that's the the blind side. Like, where were you taking him, Michael? Like, I mean, I mean that, that was just an absolute, like, you talk about, I ain't hear no whistle. Like, that that's a tone setter right there for a team. And for a guy who's stepping into a new team, you got some questions there on Tennessee's offensive line about guys you got to replace. You're playing without your center today. A guy like that to go in there and, and make that make that play, to me, was just – First off, highly entertaining, and, and secondly, I think kind of a, a low-key like moment that sets a tone for a team and for a season, kind of shades of Robert Ayers uh, against California on the opening kickoff uh, years ago where he just completely knocked out Craig Stevens, the, the, the Cal tight end and future Tennessee Titans tight end, and Tennessee just blew out a good Cal team that day. It was shades of that, um, and, and I thought that was sort of – a big thing to mention. And then I was going to mention the aggressiveness from Hypel in the first quarter. Because again, when those things don't, we've seen this work, we've seen this with Lane Kiffin, we've seen this with some others. You can, people will laugh at you occasionally when you do this. But one of my biggest rules in sports across any sport, if you coach with a pair, your team's going to play with a pair. And for years, Tennessee fans had to sit there and deal with coaches that they thought were too conservative and, you know, kind of puckered up and lemon bootied and et cetera. This guy just goes for it, man. He is an, an absolute just gambler, and I think teams respond to guys like that. Yeah, they, and they need that guy up front along the offensive line that, that's going to set the tone. I, I don't want to say that. I mean, technically they have Javante Spragans. I don't I don't want to look over him. And even Cooper Maysman, he is playing. He, he plays with an edge as well. Um, but I, I was going to say, like, you, you've seen Tr- Trey Smith move on. You've seen Jerome Carvin move on, and, and those guys play to the very, very, very echo of the whistle. And, and again, not that the rest of the offensive line doesn't, but I, I think Campbell's really going to fit in well from from that standpoint. He, he's got some stuff to him, which is what you want from an offensive lineman. Uh, and, and that's what you want from the defensive line as well. And, and you're seeing it up front on the, on the defensive side of the ball as well. I mean, Omar Norman Lott, the way he gets in there and, and, and mixes things up, uh, and adjust he's the line of scrimmage. For sure. He he he's an NFL player. Uh, he I mean I was asked yesterday on national radio the best player on this football team and 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 I didn't really have a clear cut answer. Uh, and that's a separate conversation. But um, Omar Norman Lott was one that I I briefly mentioned and came to my 
head. I mean, I think he's a future NFL player, and, and you saw why today. I mean, he is so quick off the ball, and he has a, a little edge to him, a little extra stuff to him, which is what you want from from your big guys up front on, on both sides of the ball. And uh, the, the trenches is why Tennessee was able to take the step that it did last year, and, and I think that uh, at, at minimum, those guys up front on both sides are why Tennessee is going to have another good season. The question is how good. Yeah, there were a couple of plays where you could see right as instantaneous as soon as you could snap your fingers at the snap. Tennessee's defensive line reset the line of scrimmage five yards. I mean, just caved in the entire Virginia. And I'm, they're not a great offensive line. Those are ACC scholarship athletes. They're 300-plus pounds. They're strong guys. They've been playing football their whole lives. They've been in the weight room. It's not like you or I or anyone off the street could go out there and give any of those guys a hard time. It's worth noting. It's something when you do some stuff like that. Like, you're not – you can't just look at the competition and say, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. You move an offensive line back five yards. You've, it's you, an ACC you've done football something. team. Like, a bad one, but it's an ACC football team. We're playing ACC football here. This isn't intramurals. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I, I think to, to end on it, guys, I, I think I think it's good when you have an opener and you have more good than bad, but you also have some significant things that you can work on, that you can point to your team and say, hey, guys, in a couple of weeks, two, three, four weeks, this ain't going to cut it. Like, it's good, though, because if you go out there and you're about as crisp as you can be the first week, guys might get a little full of themselves. Guys might not take things seriously. You, you, there's a couple of plays in this game where you can flip on the film, and guys are going to have to watch that in front of 100-plus teammates. And they're going to see a couple of plays that didn't look good, didn't look good at all, a couple of really bad-looking or dumb-looking plays. It's good to have that. You can kind of get knocked down to earth a little bit, and you can kind of correct some things moving forward. Yeah, that, this is actually, I thought, a perfect opener for, for this team and the situation they're in. You know, we talked about the way Hendon Hooker is kind of set an impossible bar for Joe Milton. Like, th- this is just a different team. It's, it's going to be different. And this team, if they'd had to go to BYU to open the season, as much as I hated missing out on that trip personally – this is, a, this is a game that, like you said, gave them much more margin for error, allowed them to sort of find out some things about themselves and not, not risk losing a tough road game. So for what this team is and where they, where they were going to be going into this year, this, this swap of those games made sense. And so they, they got what they needed to out of this game. You know, as, as far as we know, they got out without any major injuries. We'll, we'll, see, we'll find out, I guess, more on Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, and those guys and make sure those weren't anything serious. But as long as that's the case. Squirrel White looked fine at the end of the game. Yeah. We'll see about McCoy. I mean, they, they, I don't think they're too, too worried about it, but he was in a wrap. Yeah. So, so as long as that's the case, then you got what you needed to out of this game. And overall, it's a, it's a pretty positive opener, and you can, you can find, you know, fine-tune some things going forward. Squirrel just looked like he hit his head on the turf a, a little weird. And then afterwards, he was kind of laying there like you typically see a guy that was concussed laying there kind of with the, the hands and the fingers locked up. I, I'm obviously no doctor and, and hate to kind of speculate. You never want to see that fencing position. That's and, never a great thing. Right. But it, it, he slammed his head hard for sure and, and then was kind of laying there awkwardly for sure and, and needed help. Uh, getting to Tennessee sidelines. So we'll, we'll see if, if they play. And then Brew took that nasty hit. We touched on it earlier. Uh, it, I mean, he, he clean was, hit, but it was a clean hit. hit, but it was shoulder to shoulder. He had shoulder issues last year. And, and then I'm sure they were trying to limit him as well. So I, I honestly am curious if they'll even play next week. That's yeah, a fair and question. I, same thing with Cooper Mace, too. If you can, oh, yeah. You know, if you, you can make I don't the think argument we'll see that you, nah. if, you, if somebody's ready and you give him a couple reps, it's good. But I, I, I don't know that he's even ready to. No. I don't even think it, that he would be ready to play a few snaps next week. I, They're not going to say the truth about it because they never do. But, you know, yeah, and that's that, the one thing Hypel's understandably a little bit weird about, but he's always a little weird about that. But anytime he says, we'll see you on Friday, that means a guy ain't playing. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think Josh Heupel, you know, he left that one open beyond this week. I, I don't think we'll see Cooper Mays next week. But regardless, one, one other thing I wanted to mention along, along those lines, I, I, I thought it was interesting that they played as many guys as they did on the offensive line on a regular basis. Maybe, Eight, nine guys. Yeah, I mean, to, and to be rotating at four spots. And the way they did it, too, with Gerald Mincy going in at left tackle, it makes me wonder if that's something we're going to see going forward. This might be a team that's just able to mix and match more on the offensive line that might play seven or eight guys on a regular basis, even after Cooper Mays returns. You don't see that a lot on the old line. Yeah, you don't see that a lot. But they've got some situations where it might make sense for this team to, to keep doing that. So we'll see about that. And then also Josh Heupel straight up saying after the game, when asked if he's kind of settled on five guys in the secondary, that you're going to see them continue to mix and match there a little bit. So I think get used to seeing them play four corners probably on a regular basis. You know, we saw Brandon Turnage in there a lot, Gabe Judy Lally. They're going to 
keep rotating guys, that's a good thing. They're, they're going to keep these guys fresh and have a lot of bodies available to, to play in the secondary and on the offensive line, and those are two spots where you usually need them. You might as well rotate a lot of DBs because they need their own team bust. That's how many of them that are on this this team. I mean, this is this this roster distribution is pretty heavy in the secondary. Uh, but regardless, I think there's more good than bad. I think we've established that. I think it was a a good, not great, but a good day for Tennessee. Uh, not a perfect start, but a good one. A good way to get things going. Uh, that things look reasonably healthy on that front. Obviously, we'll have more on that a little bit here in a couple of days and moving forward. But. I think this is a pretty good start for Tennessee. Y'all got anything else? Are you good? No, I think uh, t- time to head home. Uh, always, always good to to see a game in in Nashville, and uh, <laughs> and we'll see uh, we'll, we'll see how this season. I guess the last time Tennessee was here for one of these games was the Bowling Green game in 2015. That that season turned out okay. It wasn't a great season for Tennessee, but we'll see we'll see if this one sends off Tennessee to a, to another good year. But based on today, uh, it, it looks. It looks like kind of the team I thought it would be in, and, in game one. And when they build that new pad here in, what, maybe four years, I think you're going to see some Tennessee season openers and Tennessee games here. I don't think it's going to be like an every single year thing yeah. like you see with Arkansas and Little Rock, but I think especially when they get that new pad in Nashville, occasionally I think you're going to see some games here. I, I just do. I kind of hope we stop the neutral site stuff. I don't because, love it either, but yeah. – Tennessee and Nashville's not the very worst case. Scenario. I mean, I mean, we looked we looked at it uh, over the summer, and I think in the next uh, what seven eight years, Tennessee's only got two Power Five games at home um, on their on their non conference schedule. That's that's not good. <laughs> I think you got to start having more of those and fewer Atlanta, Charlotte, Nashville games. But yeah, you're right. There's a reason to maybe keep playing in Nashville at least every once in a while. But these are these are fun to break things up at least periodically i just i like the home and homes personally plus there might be 36 teams in the sec in a couple years anyway so who knows at this rate guys uh thanks for listening we'll be back here in just a couple of days uh for for ben mckee and uh and ryan callahan this is wes rucker guys y'all have a good one thanks wes thanks wes freaking waiting on that ryan there's that button and now i can say Thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. 
less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.